Hello, 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 and welcome back to another podcast episode of Suffering for My Art. Today, I'm brought to you inside of a boy's closet, and that is dedication. So, as I talked about last week, I recently moved into my dorm, and one part of moving into a dorm that you always forget about whenever you start making a podcast is that it is so loud, and that there are, like, essentially no walls besides like a little tiny sheet of paper blocking out the noise around you. So I tried a few different ways to like make a podcast work there, but it didn't happen. So luckily my best friend Cody is offering up his closet for me to use. If you hear an air conditioner going off, that's because the air conditioner is behind a wall right now. I'm going to try and talk over it though so that you don't really hear it. But if you do, oops, nothing really I can do. Today, I'm bringing you a long story, a long drawn-out story, of a dude named Gary Heidnick. We are kind of also going to talk about a super cool badass named Josefina Rivera, but she's a little bit further back in the story, so we have to talk about Heidnick first. The trigger warnings for this episode are going to include sexual assault, suicide attempts, cannibalism, and torture. I know, that makes for such a fun episode. I really do know how to pick the lighthearted ones. So, I'm going to bring you today's story in three parts. The first part, I'll be talking about Gary's younger years. So, born on the 23rd of November in 1943 in Eastlake, Ohio, Gary had such a terrible childhood. And I always feel weird thinking about terrible people that have had terrible childhoods because it's like for a kid I kind of feel bad but like he goes on to do kind of the worst things in the world so I don't really feel all that bad but I still feel kind of bad but I'm not really super sure also just because I'm just now remembering this today I have done most of my research from a youtuber named Bailey Syrian she has this cool kind of like makeup murder Monday thing and then I've also gotten a lot of information from Murderpedia. So I'm using kind of those two sources and a little bit of Reddit, but not that much just because Reddit's a gold mine for true crime. So back to good old Gary. Born on November 23rd, 1943 in Eastlake, Ohio, Gary had the worst childhood ever. Was he a terrible man? Yes, but still he had a terrible childhood. Not saying that people that have bad childhoods turn into serial rapists, but you know. Just saying. Growing up, his mother not only did not want a child, but she was also a struggling alcoholic. And this alcoholism drove to his parents' divorce, and his father remarried, but they didn't really care for him or his brother in his second marriage. Um, he does have a brother, but I don't really want to talk about his brother because, from what I could gather, he never really did anything super bad, and I don't really want to rope him into the story if he, you know, doesn't need to be. His father was emotionally abusive and would use punishing techniques such as hanging Gary's soiled bedsheets out of his window to humiliate him, and in some reports, he would actually hang Gary outside of the window by his ankles and kind of just, like, shake him around a little bit. Of course, when he was alive, Papa Heidnick refused that any of this happened, but, you know, there's... who can say? Uh, he was also bullied by his schoolmates after an accident from his childhood that resulted in brain damage and kind of deformed his head. 
Of course, because of the accident, it's kind of believed that this contributed to his life choices. Uh, at 18, he left high school by his father's kind of pressure and joined the U.S. Army. And after a year, he was honorably discharged after being diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. SPD, for those who don't know, is a personality disorder that can cause trouble in a person's relationships, causes the patient to lose interest in activities, and can make it harder to relate to other people. Um, they also typically don't turn out to be a killer who kept six women in his basement. So that might have been spoilers, but eh, we're almost to part two. So he leaves the army and begins to take nursing classes in Pennsylvania. Afterwards, he gets an internship at Philadelphia General Hospital, which is yay, good for him. Uh, this is around the time he started to visit a house for the developmentally disabled, which was called the Elwin Institute. This was just kind of him just like hanging out there. Uh, that was rumored where he met his future girlfriends, stuff like that. So from 1967 to 1970, however, all that I could find on his kind of timeline of his life, he was admitted into mental hospitals frequently, and he was fired slash let go from his internship. I don't really know which one of those words is correct, but it's one of them. So this is part two about his cult. Yeah, that's right. My man Gary had a cult. So he took inspiration and mostly he just used the name of the United Church of the Ministers of God and founded his own church, Church of Heidnick, and appointed himself as Brother Heidnick. And somehow he got a $15,000 investment and was able to make at least half a million dollars through the church, which is insane. And kind of impossible. Don't really know how it happened, but it did. So because his church was popping, he moved into a three-story house and rented out two of the floors and moved into it with his mentally disabled girlfriend and Jeanette Davidson. In 1978, and Jeanette had her first daughter, uh, Maxine, but she was immediately taken from the couple because Anjanette was deemed unfit to raise a child. So around this time... Uh, Gary had started to abuse and sexually assault Anjanette and kind of used the fact that she was unable to do anything due to her handicaps to his, like, delight. And this is kind of textbook abuse for a disabled person, and it is disgusting, but he found himself really enjoying it. So he decided to take Anjanette's sister, Alberta, who was also mentally disabled and was also in an institute, uh, in Harrisburg, out of the hospital and take her back to his house. How these hospitals work, however, if you've ever been to one, is that you can only get a day pass for someone. You can't, like, just take someone out randomly. You can only get a day pass and maybe, like, go get lunch if you're a normal human being or maybe see a movie. However, the psychopath, Heidnick, chained her in his basement. And, of course, within a few days of her disappearance, the staff sent police out uh, to go to Greg's house since he was the one that signed off on her. So if she had gone missing, he would be the last one to know. And he, he was arrested and charged for aggravated assault, multiple charges of abduction and rape. Heidnick was sent to jail for three to seven years. Wow, and he died in prison? Man, that's a short story. But what happened with Josephina? I wish he did die in jail. And sadly, this is only the beginning to an unfortunate and terrifying story. 
in 18... Oh. <laughs> in 1823, he was released. In 1983, he was released. And in 1984, he had already relocated to a new three-story building, which was his type of building, and began to advertise for his church again. Then, by 1985, he was married to a mail-order bride named Betty Disto, who came from the Philippines. Um, however, because Heidnik it was the worst, this marriage lasted less than a year, as Heidnik was not only abusive and having multiple affairs during his marriage, he would sometimes force his wife to watch as he committed the affair, which is just so messed up. So after the divorce, Disto returned to the Philippines and birthed Heidnik's second child, Jesse. Part three, the actual part that makes him a deranged psychopath, which could alternately be titled All Hail Josefina. In 1986, Heidnik began his actual abductions. I'm not going to go through all of the details about the abuse that these poor men went through, um, but I will discuss some of them. So if any part of the story has made you feel kind of uneasy, I would recommend you not continue with this podcast, at least for this episode. Come back next week. I'll have another one. So Heidnik decided that he wanted to start a personal baby farm. So he abducted six African-American women and locked them away in his basement. Their names in order of when they were abducted are Josefina Rivera, Sandra Lindsay, Lisa Thomas, Deborah Dudley, Jacqueline Askin and Angs Adams. The first three took place November through December, and the last three took place January to March. All of these victims experienced insane amounts of emotional and physical abuse, including electrocution, sexual assault, getting screwdrivers shoved in their ears, and my heart goes out to all six women. Today, however, we are only going to be talking about three of the women specifically. Sandra Lindsay was just 19 years old when she was abducted. Sandra Lindsay was 19 years old when she was abducted while walking to the store from her house. She was the only victim of Heidnik to be mentally disabled and was sadly the first to meet her death in the basement. After an argument on February 7th, Heidnik became so enraged at Lindsay that he punished the girl by binding her wrists together and hanging her from the roof for two days. During those two days, she was starved, assaulted, and developed a high fever. Whenever her time of punishment was done, she had already died. After passing, Heidnik, who had never had to deal with a dead body before, took her upstairs and cut up her body with a power saw. After doing so, he then fed some pieces to his two dogs and then mixed the rest up with dog food and gave it to the remaining prisoners. And want to know something that made me so frustrated and could have put an end to all of this, but of course did not happen, is during this time of disposing of her body, his neighbors smelled something kind of funky, like, I don't know, rotting flesh. So, of course, they called the police and filed a complaint. And when the police got there and asked what the smell was, he just told them, oh, I burnt a roast. You told them you burnt a roast? You just cooked a woman, and without blinking an eye, you tell them you burnt a roast? <sighs> so, of course, they just believed him and left. Don't even want to talk about it anymore. So, next is Deborah Dudley. Uh, for what I could find, she was between the ages of 19 and 21, and she was abducted from, I 
leave a parking lot. Her backstory and how she got there is kind of fuzzy. I really couldn't find any specifics, um, but she was there. And she was also pretty kick-ass. The moment that she got abducted, she kept on fighting against Heidnik. She would disobey his orders and would try and get the other prisoners to hatch plans to escape and would even try to, like, physically fight him. Before her death, Heidnik started to incorporate electrocution into his torture plans by digging deep pits in his basement and filling it with water, and when the women were in it, putting an open socket into the water. This was sadly how Deborah Dudley lost her life on March 19th. Instead of cutting up her body, though, he disposed it in some woods away from the house. I'm recording. It's super long. It's for like 17 minutes, man. I'm going fast. The last woman I want to talk about is Josefina Rivera. Josefina was 25, a prostitute, and a struggling drug addict. She was also a mother of two, but due to her drug habit, she had to give up her children to the state. Heinick abducted her by buying a service and then afterwards drugging her and taking her to his basement. She was also the first woman Heidnik abducted and withstood his abuse for four months. During this time, though, she did hatch a plan. She realized that Heidnik was a lonely and troubled individual, so she started to kind of play him. She not only wanted to get out for herself, though, but she wanted to get the other girls out alive. Because of this, though, she did have to convince Heidnik that she was on his side. To do that, she would aid in Heidnik's acts of torture and would tell him that the other women were planning an escape. Because she did these things, though, eventually people believed that she was in on it the whole time due to how long she was there and what she did. Which is unfortunate. She had to go through so much just to, you know, survive. But but very slowly, she had worked her perks up to being able to cook for Heidnik in his kitchen, to watching movies with him, and eventually was actually given the freedom to go see her family. I know. She played this dude like a fiddle. He drove her to a street. I don't know if it was her street or just a street that she was familiar with. And told him, Hey, I'm going to go tell my family that I'm going to be moving in with you and I won't be seeing them anymore. If you pull up, they may notice your car and be suspicious. So you wait here. And his dumbass was all like, yeah, that makes sense. So he gave her exactly 15 minutes. As soon as she had calmly walked out of sight, she ran straight to a telephone and called 911. She explained what was happening and was all like, if y'all don't arrest him ASAP, he's going to go back to the house and kill the rest of the women. Don't let him go home. So they did just as she asked. And thanks to Josefina Rivera, on March 19th, 1987, and all thanks to Josefina Rivera, on March 19th, 1987, Greg Heinick was arrested by police and the remaining women in his basement, Thomas, Askins, and Adams, were found and saved. Luckily, now from the last interview that I read that was in 2014, she is married, she is clean, and she is living her best life. Obviously, she does still suffer from PTSD, which did kind of make her keep on her drug addiction for a while after she was released. But she got into therapy, wrote a cool book, and most importantly, was finally reunited with her kids. And 28 years later, she says, For a long time, I was haunted by Heidnik, by the women who died next to me, but not any longer. I hope I can inspire other victims to feel positive about the future. And that 
is the story of Gary Heidnick and his torture basement. Oh my god. Isn't it such a good story? Oh my gosh. I love reading about, like, I don't know. I love reading about people that, like, overcome a situation like that. Especially, like, in such a creative way that she did it. She essentially got him to believe that she was a victim of Stockholm Syndrome. Which is insane. And the fact that he even believed it enough to be like, hey, you go, you can go and see your family one last time is nuts. And she even knew that the police had to do it right then and there or else the other girls would be dead. And that was her whole objective was to save the other women as well. Super inspiring. Just wow. So, yeah, that was the story of Josefina Rivera and Gary Heidnick. It's a crazy story. It's kind of dramatic. But I believe that it is a good story to tell. It's good to hear stories about this and know that there is hope on the other side of these terrible, terrible things that people go through. So, yeah, that's the story. And now to end on a positive note. So my positive note today is actually kind of weird. Uh, the short story of it is this past week I moved into college and I was dropped from all of my classes and I had to resubmit a schedule and I was super stressed out all morning. I'm recording this on a Monday. I was super stressed out all morning. I was crying. I was trying to talk to people and get back into my classes. Nothing was working. So I tweeted out about how it was not even nine o'clock and I had already cried three times. No, I did. Yeah, I did. And I actually got some really sweet responses of people being like, hey, it's okay. Like, you're going to get through this. Like, even people I didn't know were reaching out to me through this one tweet and, like, giving me advice on, like, how to, like, calm down and telling me to take some time for myself and telling me to just relax and tell me that I get through it. And honestly, it really did kind of save my day because I was not doing good. But it was just super sweet. And it kind of just proved to me that there are some good in the world, like, even if there is some Gary Heidnicks in the world, there's still some people who just genuinely care about other people, even without knowing them. And I think that, especially in this current political climate and this current world, it's nice to remember that. And it's nice to remember that there are people out there that are just good. And that's how I'm going to end this episode. Wow. My second episode already done. Okay. Well, I... Hope you enjoyed the second episode. I hoped you liked hearing about Josefina Rivera. I hope to see you next time, and I will speak with you once I can't sleep. Bye!